happy Mother's Day. I think I got everybody on the way in, but if I didn't, happy Mother's Day to you. And family, it's your time to shine today. Just saying. So normally when we hear about a Mother's Day message, a Mother's Day talk, we often go to Proverbs 31. And what an awesome woman that woman was, right? She, she was so faithful that her children arose and called her blessed. This woman is definitely used by God because she provides for her family. She trades profitably. She gives to others all while bringing her husband honor all while bringing her husband honor. And at the end of the chapter, we find out that while she has no fear of the future, she has an appropriate and reverential fear or awe of God. So that's the Proverbs 31 woman. But guess what? Today we're not going there. <laughs> we're going to do something different. We're going to talk about something unexpected. So now we're going to go to the Old Testament book of Hosea. And if you need to find Hosea, you go to Psalms, and then you take a right and go past Daniel, and there's the book of Hosea right after that. And what we find in Hosea, guys, is that um, he is a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And what has happened is because of... Um, Solomon's disobedience, Solomon was David's son, the kingdom is divided into two areas. The northern kingdom, which had 10 of the tribes, and it was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which had two tribes, Judah. So Hosea is the prophet to the northern kingdom. And during that time, during that time, there's chaos in, within the kingdom. And the chaos was like they had six different kings within 25 years. Well, you look at our election system today, and we could do that in 24. But how those kings were being treated was that they were being killed. Some of them were being killed while they were in office. And then, you know, the successors would come and take over. So it was a lot of chaos. Assyria is very much aware of the inner turmoil going on. I mean, they didn't have the internet, but it got to them, and they started advancing westward. And eventually, the northern kingdom falls, and they take the capital, Samaria. But right now, we're talking about right before that. In, in Hosea 1, 2, and 3, and I'm reading from the NIV. I think you have a different version up there. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he married Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. I appreciate your um, being with me today because I think some of these pronunciations are going to be the southern form of Jewish language or Aramaic, but I tried. I have a little app and I tried. So what we have here is God instructs Gomer, I mean God instructs Hosea to go take a prostitute as a wife. 
and he selects Gomer. But to me, what, what blows my mind in this passage is that you, Hosea never has a say what moment. He never says, what did you say, God? He just goes and he does it. So he takes this woman and they have three children. And Hosea didn't name those children, God did. The first one was named after a city and his name, it was a son, was named Jezreel, which means God scatters. The second one was a daughter and her name was Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. The third child was Lo-Ami, and that means not mine. So the scriptures tell us that one or all three of these children may not have been actually Hosea's children, but we think some of them were. So the prophet Hosea's marriage to the harlot Gomer was a representation of God's broken covenant with his precious people, Israel. You see, Israel at that time was doing pagan sacrifices, idol worship, and they were involved in all kinds of materialism. They had stepped away from the covenant that God had made with Abraham and that had continued on down through David. What God did by naming these kids these names was he was saying, this is what I could do to you. You have broken covenant with me. God never breaks covenant with us. But Israel had broken their promised covenant with God. And he was telling them by naming Hosea's children, I could scatter you. I could not love you anymore. And I could declare you no longer mine. But although we see God's judgment in this, what we see is his love, his mercy, and his grace always triumph. He had a, a relationship with the people of Israel, and he continued it. Okay, so let's go on into chapter 3. Homer, Gomer, and Hosea are living together, and then she decides she's going to return to her life of prostitution. She leaves her husband. She leaves all three kids. And she's instructed, he is instructed by God, you go back and get her. Again, we have a symbolic representation of what God was doing for his people. He wanted to stay connected. So he's sending Hosea back to go get Gomer. So he gets there, and it's so bad that she has sold herself. He has to pay a brothel keeper for his own wife. But he brings her back home, and he loves her. See, God used the rebellion of Gomer and her sinful lifestyle as an example of the love that he had for Israel and now that he has for us. In the end, Hosea prophesies that one day Israel, who will be immeasurable in population, and that's the same thing Abraham was told, will be reunited as one kingdom under one leader because God still loves them. You see, God still pursues us today through the sacrifice of his son. He gave what he had all so you and I could have relationship with him. What can we learn from Gomer? How can a story about a woman involved in 
an old, old, terrible occupation be relevant to us today? Well, see, an idol is anything that you or I put before our relationship with God. Gomer and Israel's infatuations with idols show us that when things cry out for our attention and when we look to something or someone else other than God himself for our comfort, it breaks his heart. Just like Hosea treated Gomer, God keeps loving us, watching us, and desiring to keep his connection with us. So no matter what you've done in your life, God is telling you that through his son, Jesus Christ, he wants relationship with you. There is no sin of yours that Jesus' blood does not cover. In Psalms 103, he tells us, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west and they never meet, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's a great promise, and he sticks by his promises. So as we advance over into the New Testament, I want to say that there are two or three anointings of Jesus that women did. And depending on the theologian, it's why I said two or three. But we know that two occurred the week, the Holy Week, the week before his crucifixion. Sometimes they would anoint Jesus' head. And sometimes they would anoint his feet. But what we're going to talk to about today is an unnamed woman in Luke 7. We're going to start with verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them dry with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had, been invite, who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, now we're in verse 39, this Pharisee said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus, of course, because he's God, knows what this guy's thinking. So he asked him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. So two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them would love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the biggest debt. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your home. You did not give me any. Wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. 
Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman has no name, and we don't even know what her sin is. A lot of theologians will tell you that she was a prostitute, just like Gomer was, but we know that she was a sinner, and most of us today, most women, cannot identify with the role of a prostitute. But you see, in Romans 3.23, Paul tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, because everyone sins, we all, whether male or female, whether wherever we live, we can identify with this woman. Unexpected and most certainly uninvited. She enters Simon's home in Galilee and is overcome with genuine thankfulness to an authentic worship of Jesus. She's weeping over his feet. She's drying his feet with her hair. And then she kisses his feet. And then she takes this alabaster jar and she opens it and she pours this perfume on his feet. Now there's something you need to know about the alabaster box. In Jewish culture, most of the time, the sons inherited the land. They inherited livestock. But this alabaster box for a young Jewish woman would be part of her dowry eventually to be used later on after she got married. But if this lady is of ill repute, it could also be her savings that she is collecting so that she will be able to support herself later on. At any rate, it is the most precious possession that a woman would have at that time in that culture. This woman is used in the Bible to show us what true repentance and worship looks like. She realized that Jesus' forgiveness gives us genuine freedom. She had the freedom to serve her Lord, to clean his feet. I want to tell you something about our family. Most of you may know it already, but we are sports lovers. So if we leave, the game's on, and we have to leave the room, we come back in, the first thing we say is, what's the score? Or if our, mine and David's alma mater is, play, is playing, that's Ole Miss, we might say, they scored? But it, needless to say, it tells me if my D-backs winning and we need a win now, or if David's Coyotes have, you know, won the game. It tells me a lot. But see, in verse 39, we see that this Pharisee, this religious leader who knew the law backwards and forwards, that he is keeping score against this woman. He's keeping score against her. 
But Jesus did not. Simon's, Simon saw this woman's reputation making her an outcast and worthless. But you see, Jesus saw her and he asked Simon, do you see this woman? He saw her, but he didn't see her like Jesus did. Jesus saw her, acknowledged her, and forgave her. He refused to keep score against her, and he does the exact same thing for us. Your sins are forgiven, and nobody, nobody is keeping score. So we've talked about how women in the first century, Jewish women, weren't held in high regard. They weren't. The culture did not value them. During that time, a woman was not even allowed to testify in court. The rabbis of the first century even said, it is better that the words of the law be burned than be delivered to a woman. In addition to Jesus' mother, we see one woman in the scriptures who is constantly there. And her name is Mary of Magdala or Mary Magdalene. Luke 8 tells us that Mary had been delivered by seven demons by the Lord. From then on, her life is spent following Jesus, serving him, supporting he and the disciples. This is all in the scripture. And at the crucifixion, when all of his disciples had vanished except for John, Mary Magdalene is there with Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then she, as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus grab his body, and see, they're working against time here because they've got to get him in the tomb by 6 o'clock because the Jewish Sabbath starts then. So they get him and his body, have to go get permission first. They get his body, and then they take it to the cave. And Mary Magdalene is the one following behind because she is going to anoint him when the time comes after the Sabbath. So Mary Magdalene on that, the first day of the week, early in the morning, some of the, some of the gospels tell us it was just barely dawn. She runs to the tomb and she sees the stone pulled back and she looks, but she didn't go inside. So she runs back because why? Because her testimony is not a good testimony. She's a woman, right? So she goes back and she gets Peter and John. And I've always liked the story where John outruns Peter, but he won't go in the tomb. So Peter goes in the tomb, then John goes in the tomb, and then they go home. So let's pick up with John 20, verse 10. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she's so upset, she doesn't realize it's Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it 
you are looking for. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. Just one time, Mary. She turned to run toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus says, don't hold on to me, for I have yet returned to the Father. Go instead to tell my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. All Jesus said was her name, and she knew she was staring at the risen Savior. Jesus was alive. Jesus chose to appear to Mary first. Mary had been available. She was available that day. Jesus chose her, and her unexpected purpose all of a sudden was greater than Jewish culture, and she broke through that cultural bondage to tell others what she had seen. She had seen a risen Lord. You see, God is not impressed with our abilities or what we may think would be impressive, a degree. All God wants to use is our availability. And Mary Magdalene had been available that day. So we learned from Gomer that despite our sin, God will pursue us and wants to be in personal relationship with us. The unnamed woman of Luke 7 shows us that when Jesus forgives sin, nobody can keep score against us. And that he is worthy of our very best. Mary Magdalene teaches us that we've got a life-changing message for someone else to share about Jesus' victory over evil. Remember, he had delivered her from demons. Jesus' victory over evil, sin, and death. And that God, God, will use us if we just make ourselves available. So as you leave today, I want you to think about this. How will you allow God to unexpectedly use you? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it is powerful. And God, we just ask, Lord, a blessing on our people today, Lord, that we will look for ways and be enlightened how we can be used by you, God, to bring others into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that there is no sin that your blood cannot cover and that you paid it all when you said it is finished. Dear Lord, we ask that you bless the people this week. And Father God, we give all glory and praise to you in Jesus' mighty name.